0: hello everyone uh this is matt obviously and uh, ben is here as well we just wanted to post a little admin thing before this episode which was recorded several weeks before the unfortunate news of the passing of james khan so you know there is going to be no acknowledgement after this point that he has unfortunately passed away um we've lost you know a wonderful actor um we we talk about his performance obviously in the episode that's upcoming um but yeah i mean we just thought it'd be a little bit weird if uh, if you just listen to it with no context of the fact that we we have managed to get our shit together enough to record enough in advance. But
1: <laughs> yeah, like we we record far enough in advance. Obviously, like we we literally just like the first thing we texted was like, "Oh shit, James Khan died," and like mm-hmm. we just felt like we had to acknowledge it. It's similar to, to what happened with with Chadwick when we were doing like the the second volume of this, where it's just it sucks when these things happen but like uh it it, it feels right to kind of like honour a, a kind of like a great American actor like and thief is one of his best roles. Yeah, like truly a legend. Um I don't know if we'll ever get
0: to the seventies, uh if we'll ever if we'll ever do Godfather, but you know, I think this would certainly be probably his second best or second most memorable role. Um Oh yeah, like
1: Godfather that. Thief Misery, like those are his yeah. like like the, the A if you're building about Rushmore or James of James Kahn performances that's kind of your three to start with yeah. um, but then I mean and, and, uh, the amount of people who were kind of like riffing on his Twitter presence um, <laughs> yeah. After he died, because obviously he just became incredibly famous for every single tweet he'd send being end of tweet, and mm. there's some incredibly heartfelt um, tributes from people like Michael Mann and stuff like that. People who worked with him over the course of his career that, that are well worth kind of checking out, and far more eloquent than than anything that we could say on this humble little movie podcast. But yeah, like <laughs> yes. uh, a a true titan of cinema, and it's yeah. uh, just kind of like really awful that it's kind of like lined up that our episode comes out literal. A week after he passed away.
0: Yeah. Yeah, nothing really more to say. Um on with the show and, and you know, we, we will all miss James Kahn. Um and now let's let's talk about Thief for an hour.
1: End of segment. <laughs> end
0: of end of tribute. Welcome back to There Will Be Movies. This is a podcast looking back at 25 of our favourite movies from a given decade. Volume 4 is the 1980s. This is episode 78, Michael Mann's Thief. My name is Matt Waters. I'm joined, as always, by my intrepid co-host, Ben Phillips. Ben, how's it going? Well, how are you doing? Yeah, um, you know, again, might be dealing with some background noise. We'll see how we go, everyone. If you would like us to, if you like, if someone would like to write us a generous paycheck, so this can be our full time job and we can invest in like a podcast studio, that would be fine. But if not, soz about background noise. But let's talk. Let's talk thief. Let's let's, let's talk Michael Mann. Let's talk Heat. Zero point five. You know, <laughs> like because my 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 is it very clear that this was his sort of trial run at what would become heat which we discussed in uh in volume three um there's
1: a a lot of parallels to a lot of movies already covered i mean it's funny because there is an even more explicit heat 1.5 or like Mm -hmm. 0.5 in la takedown which is like literally yeah 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 as you say like you can tell that this is from the same director as heat Mm -hmm. like in particular with like the female character in this yeah. movie it feels yeah. very obvious with kind of like heat in terms of, in terms of how that goes. Yeah. Um,
0: Cause I mean, yeah, like plot wise, it, it, it's, you know, beyond the fact it's someone trying to catch a thief and we're supposed to root for a thief. It, it isn't that similar. It, it's more like the themes, you know, like, you know, the, the good, honest thief who wants to get out, you know, thinking he can have that normal life. unsure if he can have that normal life, etc. Um, you know, very meticulous level of detail. But yeah, I mean, so, I mean, let's start this the the way we start this. Um, this was chosen by both of us for the list. Uh, haven't mentioned it so far. I don't know if we've been mentioning the so far who picked which, but uh, this is like halfway through our longest streak of picks by both, I think, in the history of the podcast. Uh, I think we have a run of six, something like that, which I think is our record. But... Yeah, picked by both of us. So, I mean, Benjamin, I mean, is this just a case of... I mean, for me, I saw Heat. I loved Heat. Let's look at some more Michael Mann things. Oh, cool, Thief is good too, but I don't know if you have a different path to seeing it.
1: I So, yeah, I didn't dig into Michael Mann after I saw Heat on how television repeated. The, mm-hmm. the, uh, the reason I did it was, as, as a lot of things I've done in the last couple of years, a blank check covered Michael Mann in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just... As I was like getting really into them, so I was like, right, I'm gonna watch a couple of movies. At this point, I'm like watching every fucking movie that those guys cover. Yeah. Uh, but back then, I was just kind of like throwing stuff on. And like, the Thief is just really fucking dope. I mean, Michael Mann, he's not got that many bad movies. It's it's really funny. You watch this as like his debut movie, and it's kind of like crazy how well formed this is as a movie. Mm. Like even when I was watching it, kind of like three years ago for the first time, I was like, this feels like a fully formed director in a way that you don't get from a lot of first-time directors.
0: Yeah, for this to be his his debut movie is kind of wild. Like he, he had a TV movie that I think only released in Europe.
1: He worked in television a lot. You know, but he didn't famously. direct much in television. No, like, uh, the Jericho Mile was like it won an Emmy, and like he mm. did premiere in theaters in Europe and whatnot. But I don't think even think he's got like the TV work he's really famous for until after he does this movie. Because like he's he's written a couple episodes of Starsky and Hutch at this point. He's written a couple episodes of of Police Story. He directed one episode of a thing called Police Woman. And it's kind of off the back of this that he gets to make stuff like Miami Vice and Crime Story.
0: Which... Yeah, where he where he's like he has some arguably like stolen valor where people think he like created and show ran entirely miami vice i i think he did end up a showrunner but he didn't create it yeah he didn't
1: create the show he was the showrunner and kind of like ran it through his production company and then obviously he comes back in 2004 or 2006 sorry and and directs the movie version which is like a a huge kind of cultural whipping boy i i really (laughs) like miami vice as well though but it's just like the behind-the-scenes stuff on Miami Vice is is fucking crazy, as are most Michael Mann movies. We'll get into it in this <laughs> one. but like the fact that like Colin Farrell was at like the bottom of his like addiction when they're making Miami Vice, and like Jamie Foxx refused to film like yeah. the the third act set piece of it because they were going into like crime-ridden streets in Cuba or wherever the, the end of that movie ends up, and they're just like, <laughs> and and also also like a very early foray into like digital filmmaking, and everyone kind of like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. it's fucking ugly, like. Yeah. But it's all on purpose. Like Michael Mann is is a very meticulous director in terms of like what the visuals are that he's he's kind of presenting to you. Yeah,
0: and uh, I
1: mean he credits Police Story
0: as as giving him that background um, that you know the importance of detail and and, and research. Um, I think some of Police Story, uh, no, sorry, Jericho Mile um, was was filmed in Folsom Prison. Which gave him the impetus of the idea of Frank, which you know then becomes like many of his characters. But it is weird, just like it's inescapable watching it and like seeing like how he will get better at this and then and refine it, and, and it will become heat. Like it it lacks heat sense of like style and and pomp. Some of that maybe that like the budget is five point five million versus like. Sixty million, <laughs> mm. um, only makes eleven point five. So you know, like you know, pro- recruits some money, modest hit, kind of thing. Well, probably, yeah. Hit, I don't I, don't, I
1: don't think anyone is mad at him for doing this. Damn. I think, the, I think the craziest thing is like you watch this movie and you go like, he's coming from like what Michael Mann starts off in. He goes to film school, I think, and then he does like advertising work. He, yeah. A very similar path of people like Ridley Scott, where yes. like a lot of his early career is is doing adverts, and then he gets to make a movie just kind of, like, on, on a whim, or, like, someone offers him the chance to kind of, like, progress to movies. Yeah. And he obviously does the TV stop-off first, then comes to do a movie, and I watch this, and I'm like, no one is kind of asking him to rein in his sensibilities. Like, no. it feels very... Like, obviously, in the in kind of, like, the 70s and 80s, television is kind of this massive rut thing where like it's well, everything, on, and, everything uh... on TV is procedurals and it's uh-huh. all cops, it's all lawyers it's all it's all doctors and it's all like every episode has to have like the same structure mm-hmm. and sometimes you get something that breaks out but more often not it's a TV movie and uh, I mean obviously like there's a lot of directors at this time who are doing TV movies as their first thing like Spielberg obviously does Duel <laughs> and then goes on to become the biggest um, commercial filmmaker of all time but like you watch this and yes he's keeping the procedural elements in some ways but, like, this feels like it kind of, like, ends up circling back on itself, where he ends up influencing television in the reverse, where, like, the, the methodical nature of showing you how the crimes work in this movie and and showing you kind of, like, a scuzzier side of it goes on to influence the next decade of television shows like Miami Vice and Crime Story and Hill Street Blues, which obviously shares cast members with this movie. And it's just this really fascinating thing where, like, I couldn't, like I watch this and I can see all the modern things this has had influence over and obviously mm. the most significant of those is Drive, which we covered <laughs> on this podcast as well. And they're like yeah. that this movie is identical structuralized. to <laughs> yeah.
0: Drive. True, true. Uh,
1: but I was also thinking of things like Breaking Bad, where like it's it's that thing mm. of like, Yes, television is over doing crime stuff, but when you've got the time, let's slow the fuck down yeah. and show you every step of this process. And that's what this movie is kind of doing, where yeah. it's like let's show you how to break into a bank or (laughs) into a bank.
0: Yeah. And he's hiring professional thieves and stuff as consultant. I think one of the cops is a, is a thief that was also a consultant, the one that like harasses him the most. Yeah. And, and like I said, like, you know, it it isn't quite as slick and stylish and big as he, but like, it it is still very like, right. His, they're going to do so much advanced planning they're gonna. There's gonna be so much meticulous detail. It's gonna be so authentic. Like this is how you would actually do this. You know, even down to like the main character knowing that the cops are watching him, and he has to like lose a tail and then slip in a bug and, and all
1: of that sort of stuff. But, like I just appreciate like that entire scene where it's like,
0: yeah,
1: you know, he's he's given them the slip because they take a while to like react to him driving off. Yeah, and then you just get this slow shot of them on the the highway or three way. Yeah. And you realize but, like, he's put it, it on a bus. Cars, you realize he's put it on a bus. And the camera just takes fucking ages to pull in front of this bus to <laughs> show you a close up of it. And I'm just like, good. Yeah. I like yeah. this. I just just the uh, attention to like the visual yeah. stylings is. And is then, so then like
0: standing on the building opposite and talking through all the different alarm systems and him visiting his friend to, you know, have like a portable blowtorch that's capable of of drilling, you know making a giant door in a safe, essentially. Um,
1: yeah, I love all of that about it. So in terms of, like, your history of Muggle Man, is mm. it just, did you do all of the stuff kind no, of, like, in no, between no, no, Heat no. Thief, or did you just kind of, like, pick Thief and then go, like,
0: cool? Yeah, kind of, yeah. Like, I still haven't seen Manhunter. You know, we we did Science the um last time, and uh, I still haven't seen his version of Manhunter. Um, I've never seen The Keep. Those are his only other two uh, movie releases in this decade. Um, I haven't seen Miami Vice. I just, you know, I, I, the circles that I, I follow and run in, there is like this, you know, Thief is, is well-spoken of, not to the degree of heat, but it's always one where s- certain people who I trust the opinions of are like, yeah, Thief fucks. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll watch Thief. And yeah, I mean, I, I do think it is a, a good step worse than than he but i mean most movies are so what am i gonna do about that but yeah i mean it, it's it's a good time but yeah i, I wouldn't say i'm like a, a michael
1: Mann like disciple but no it's just, it's just funny because like you you watch the keep yeah. and you go this feels like what a first movie should be mm. this feels like your first time behind the camera and it's kind of crazy that he made like this kind of like perfectly formed movie beforehand and then step back and kind of like had to learn the ropes again and i'm not saying that the keeps a bad movie it's just it's just funny to watch it and kind of not see this perfectly formed filmmaker yeah and i don't know if that's just because obviously like it's a horror movie it's it's playing in such different things to what michael mann is kind of like really known for like Mm. he he occasionally steps into worlds outside of crime but like, Lost
0: the Mexicans, for
1: instance. Lost the Mexicans, yes. And I don't Ali, Ali is the other one. But like, even I Ali like Ali. Like,
0: I, don't, I don't know how the I don't know what general consensus of Ali is. I like it,
1: but it's certainly a more interesting kind of biopic than a lot of biopics mm. are. Because obviously, like the whole point of that movie is like the the, the hard decision points of his life. It does yeah. the thing that I appreciate about biopic, where it drills into specific moments and it doesn't try to do the thing of like. Here is the entire fifty-year career span of this person. It's like, yeah. no, let's dramatize pinch points in their career, and make yeah, it like where, career.
0: Yeah, like they do, skip ahead like a few years at a time in places and stuff like that. And I hate Public Enemies. Um, <laughs> I th- that might
1: be Johnny one Depp, of one so. of many, <laughs> one of many failed kind of like attempts to make to make Johnny Depp kind of like oh. pop outside of the Pirates movies and that kind of like late run that kind of leads to his just total career. Yeah, no one,
0: no one wants to see that man not wearing makeup and prosthetics. And I don't want to see him doing that either. So <laughs> um Edward is as close as anyone ever got.
1: <laughs> I've not seen Black Hat but I know people talk fondly of it, and obviously, like we're mm. now seven years away from him ma- having made a movie, and I think he's yeah. like circled things, obviously. Like he's he's done episodes of like television, he did luck, he did Tokyo yeah. Vice. Well, yeah, luck but that is... got blown out of proportion, didn't it? Like he did one episode of Tokyo he Vice. Did, he did the pilot of Tokyo Vice. Yeah. Um, and then obviously Luck is like well known for being the, the show with the most horse deaths in history mm. um, where they cancelled the show after yeah. they renewed it for a second season because like four horses died in the second season Great um,
0: He's written a sequel show. to Heat hasn't he? As a book or something yes. and he's threatening to make it as a movie
1: um, I mean go for it I, make something no, I, don't if, I don't know if the Ferrari movie is going to happen with him but mm. like he produced 4D Ferrari and I don't know if he produced 4D Ferrari purely because like he had some rights to right. to Enzo Ferrari like he's one of those people who like for as well talked about his years in kind of film circles he's 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 one of those people who is struggling to make a movie in the current movie climate because the movies yeah. he makes are like these scuzzy crime thrillers that like you kind of need a decent chunk of money to make, but yeah. you're not all on
0: location, all authentic, you know, lots of takes, lots of real guns, real props, real stuff. And you'll have
1: like you'll have like a star or two, mm. but you're not gonna make a billion dollars by making a Michael Mann movie. You'll make kind of right. like maybe like 200 300 million dollars. Yeah. If if it kind of like tests well and stuff like that. And that's kind of like the ultimate fall of he's, like he... he's
0: He's the kind of guy where you kind of, you know, I mean, I know it's a trope, but like you wish he was one of the people that got one of those blank checks from Netflix to make something that is comically expensive and people like it, but it loses them so much money.
1: You know, like the mention, Irish, he, was, but... he had conversations with them, like <laughs> okay. like they were having conversations with fucking every director. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um I think they're just. But now, the obviously the Netflix bottomless wallet is just fucking gone. Absolutely,
0: so. the decline of that company. Like you know, everyone's been talking about. You know, they're in trouble for years. But then it wasn't any of that that did it. It's their own just fucking malpractice in this year where they are just tanking, hilariously. Anyway um you've spoken about how television dominated uh well you know what the tv landscape was like and everything uh this is our first trip into 1981 so why don't you talk to me a little bit about that year in terms of big movies that came out this obviously is not a big movie or a very financially successful movie um we have a much more qualified one for both of those categories next week but you know liked so what else have we got from 1981
1: yeah from 1981, you've got things like Das Boot, Excalibur, um, an American Werewolf in London, a kind of a movie that I always, before I saw it, kind of like conflated the two of them. And it's another kind of like really strong visual stylist. Blowout
0: mm-hmm.
1: is like one like obviously that's one that like gets passed around film Twitter as well. Like the bi- a big year for kind of like people who like stills of movies with like <laughs> big neon lighting in it. Yeah, um,
0: yeah.
1: Uh, you got Possession as well, mm-hmm. and then. Probably the most significant movies like Mad Max 2, which uh, I I assume you've seen. Uh, Yeah, I've seen the original ones. I tolerate the older ones,
0: (laughs) rather than the noisy,
1: boring uh, Fury Road. And then then, um, what I'm seeing here is there's a very tiny, insignificant movie that I don't think anyone's ever heard of as the most clear movie of 1981, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark.
0: Mm, No. Um, I'll go away and do some
1: research, and I'll let you know what I find out next week. Okay. Yeah. No. It's just, I, I'm just surprised to see it at the top. Like, I thought Mad Max 2 was like the pinnacle of like what people thought. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's no water yeah. world but you know. <laughs> but you're like, you look. I didn't say Fief there, and it's because we Fief doesn't really fit any of the criteria for this one. But it's kind mm-hmm. of like one of those ones where, like, I feel like the reputation as like Michael Mann has kind of gone away. Mm-hmm. And the rise of kind of like people digging into these kind of movies i feel like thief has kind of like had this resurgence in a similar way that like i feel like blowout has as well where like people are revisiting some of these like scuzzy yeah. crime movies of like the 70s and the 80s and going like no nah, this one's must be this film like not in in like a significant way but it sort of reminds me of mikey and nicky the elaine may movie as well where it's just these kind of like new Yorkers being new york movies kind of like, and obviously I understand that this movie's set in Chicago. Like, I'm not mm. trying to say that, but there is a level of, like, let's do on location and just kind of, like, make movies about real men being real men that I feel, like, appeals to...
0: It's very, like, cus. warts and all, isn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah, like, that's the thing. Like, I mean, no, there's the the Patton Oswalt joke about, like, taking Pelham one, two, three, where, like... You make that movie in the '80s, and like you just hire a person who looks like they're dripping in sweat, and like they've like <laughs> they've they've nursing like a four day hangover. And you make that movie nowadays, and it's Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's, Denzel, it's Denzel in the remake, isn't it? But, like, yeah, he's highly, he's highly <laughs> an attractive movie star, and like not to say that like James Caan isn't sexy, but like. Dear kind of Lord, just a dude, he isn't he? <laughs> <So> yeah. <mad. laughs> yeah,
0: and, like, our, our first and only visit to Mr. Khan, I think, in the podcast, so, you know, I wouldn't say he's, like, on the level of a De Niro, a Pacino, etc., but he, he does feel like a name everybody knows that we have not touched on at all, so I'm glad we're getting an opportunity. Well,
1: he's he's one of those guys who, like, really sucked at kind of, like, picking roles. Like you, you obviously he kind of like gets this massive, massive springboard from doing The Godfather. He gets nominated for the Oscar, uh, gets nominated for supporting actor at the Oscars, and then after that, like he does something great, kind of like every like five to six years. But like in between Thief and Misery, which I think are like kind of like two major touchpoints, yeah. he's got like seven credits. Yeah, yeah. like he, he really is not in much, and I feel like part of that is like he gets offered movies and then just goes like it's a very similar thing to what Sean Connery was doing near the end of his career, where, like, he was getting offered all these huge, huge movies and then go, like, I don't fucking care. I don't want to do that. That sounds <laughs> shit. <laughs> and then- blue Eyes, though. I'm all over it. <laughs> but, yeah, that's the thing. is like, he would, he would like, I mean, in the case of Sean Connery, like, he's offered The Matrix and Lord of the Rings and goes, like, no, I don't get the scripts. And then the one he fucking picks at the end of the day is League of the Sure Gentlemen. And... <laughs> You feel like James Kahn's kind of like making similar things. I think he's like very open about it where he's just like, he he was offered a role in uh, One Flew Over Cuckoo's Nest and rejects that. And it's just like, he could have had such a better career, but he he just kind of wasn't interested in the sort of movies that would would get him there. And then, I mean, and even when you look at the stuff that he's like famous for, like you think this movie is, it's a movie where the set seems to be kind of like 95% ex-criminals or ex-cops surprisingly not at each other's throat or anything like that. And then Misery is a movie where he's in bed. Yeah. Like 90% of it. Yeah. Like, like, some sort of these weird, hard pictures that they end up paying off. But like, they're so, like you can you can imagine people going to him like, James, what the fuck are you doing? Why are you, why are you deciding to do this movie? Why are you doing the TV guy's, like, debut picture?
0: And he is also, I mean, you know, they get Willie Nelson, but like, there's nobody else in this thing. Um, and, uh, you know, he is, yeah, I guess taking a real gamble here, but I guess he liked the script. I don't know. I haven't seen anything about him talking about like, you know why he chose to take this or anything. He
1: he says this is like one of his favorite favorite roles he's yeah, ever I, done. Yeah, like, I know that says- like the I mean
0: the the other big coffee shop monologue from Michael Mann is like his favorite scene he's ever done in his career and, and stuff like that. But like, why going into it was he so interested in it? Because he also talks about how like he is a very emotionally open person and frank <laughs> doesn't want to share anything with anyone so he found it challenging i mean maybe that's it it was a challenge but yeah so i mean you know we have talked about you know how it how it shares so much in common with he the the authenticity and everything another area where he is has one over on it this could have done with another job between like before the big one you know because i mean mm. he, he does a, he does a big a big theft at the beginning a la drive you know our first 10 minutes are just him doing theft to electronic soundtrack um, or doing crime to a, to an electronic soundtrack and then it's all just talking about the one big score and the one big score doesn't come until relatively late in the movie and it's like I know that that's the point is he's doing one more and he's out but it does feel like it needed another like sexy action scene somewhere around the like 40 minute mark i don't know
1: it's... i guess that's kind of like why they try and pack it full of like these dramatic monologues and kind of have like the two the two big emotional climaxes almost are him in the in the coffee shop kind of like or in in the diner kind of like explaining his time in prison and yeah. then the other one is obviously the the scene where he goes to try and get the adoption
0: yeah i mean i've seen like, i mean... up all of that has uh, (laughs) aged spectacularly, hasn't it? With, um, (laughs) you know, uh, many many slurs are used in the movie. Um, And I guess this is part of what appeals is like, you know, we aren't making a movie about, like, real nice people. Like, this is about, even if he's a gentleman thief, he is still a guy that's done a lot of time in prison, who steals very valuable things, who... I, you know. and the
1: thing I enjoy about it, though, is that, like, when he starts going through, like, I don't even care if it's, like, and then proceeds yeah. to name multiple slurs for different races, he's like, I just want a kid that I can love and raise. And yeah, it's, it's like, like weirdly
0: progressive while also being <laughs> like, incredibly iffy about the phrasing. And, you know, he is, like, he's doing it, he's making like such a scene, and, like, you know, yelling in this in this, like, little office cubicle place but he is like pointing out like, oh where did you grow up because I grew up in the system and a place like this is fucked basically um, and like you know she's talking about how they've got more applicants than children and stuff like that and he was like he, he sort of says I would be you know I would be like begging to be put with like anyone who wants me kind of thing Um so like why are you struggling to do this or whatever
1: yeah it's that crazy like yeah there's more applicants than children it's like okay but like, there's still children in this system. Yeah. Like I guess I guess the entire thing is like adoption. Most people do want children. Everyone, or like young children. Everyone is applying to get someone who is like less than one year old. Yeah. People want puppies. If if they people.
0: don't want full-grown dogs. You know, they're cuter. You want a you want a baby if you can get one. You want a young child if you can get one.
1: And if you age out, as one assumes he did, you have a very rough time in your life. Um, yeah. And but it's what makes it so interesting when like you then go to. His scene with uh, with Leo and Leo's just like, I can get you whatever you want, like
0: for yeah, your girl. Name the variety,
1: <laughs> name the variety, um, and it's like it's just it's so weird to have like, and I don't want to say that it's it's like blatantly human trafficking, but it's so weird <laughs> for it to just be like I can get you any kid you want. There like, is
0: a scene that a pivotal plot point of the movie is he buys a child on the black market is uh, or is gifted one. I don't know how you want to look at it, but he acquires a child through illegal channels, that Leo then threatens to, you know, he's like, I own your kid, I own everything. Leo also offers to put his C-word wife out on the street to be R-worded by N-words. So, you know, I mean, again, this is a monster. A, just like a
1: late, a late <laughs> run of that much like kind of like con- controversial language in about three seconds.
0: Yeah, yeah. I also, so I feel cringe censoring it all, but also, should I say it. No. But yeah, I mean, as I said, like, you know, even the main character is not the nicest man, and he's obviously dealing with like horrific mob bosses and everything. So like, of course they're not gonna like watch their language, and of course they're not gonna have progressive ideas about the world. But yeah, I mean it's all there, so yeah. I mean I
1: mean, since we're <laughs> already talking about Leo, we, we do need to stop on Robert Prosky, who is so good in this movie mm. in his theatrical acting debut this is the first movie he ever did yeah. he is 50 50 years old i believe when shooting it <laughs> like he'd had a little bit of tv beforehand and obviously this kind of like starts this like incredible career for him where like he he goes on to be in hill street blues about three years after this so another person who goes and does kind of like a big a big career on television i believe he's like a big theatrical actor as well leading up to this doing like regional acting so like not in not in not on Broadway, he's doing kind of like regional theatre, which obviously look down upon in America because <laughs> of course. If you can't be on Broadway, then are you really that talented? But yeah, like it's so funny because like my memory of Prosky is in kind Gremlins of all these. it's His grandmother's tourist is <laughs> doubtful. He's in charge of the television station that, that Robin Williams works for. Yeah. <laughs> and like he's such a big, cuddly person. That watching him in this yeah. like, being, like, a, a hardcore creep is just so weird.
0: So, I mean, you know, that's how it goes
1: with some of these people. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, it's so weird to think of, like, these, like... And it, it happens sporadically when you dip into these older movies, is you, you find an actor who, like, you have intense memories of as a child watching their movies and being like wow look at this like cool cuddly performance and you go back in time and realise that they got famous and ended up doing that role after playing like there hard will, artists.
0: There will be some fucko that grew up with meet the fuckers and stuff like that and then discovers Robert De Niro you know in let's say taxi driver I was like whoa <laughs> well,
1: That's what's so weird about like meet the parents especially where it's kind of like playing off of that Sorry, yeah, like the parents. Yeah. Well, we don't, I mean, all of them are playing on it, but the first one in particular is playing off of like his, yeah, his established yeah. image. They're weaponizing
0: screen. who he's known to be, but then that's all he does for like a decade is these yeah, know, did, bad grandpa or dirty grandpa or whatever it is and all that kind of shit. Because the, there are just no roles for older actors. They don't want to know. Like you, you're you're in comedies or, or you're playing someone's grandfather or you have a bit part in something for the first ten minutes. Yeah, it's grim, but that's just how it goes.
1: Yeah, and like it, when you do get a role that, that kind of like reclaims you, you'll end up winning an Oscar for it because of course. like look at this old actor doing something great. They haven't acted in twenty years. Yeah. Uh, God, gotta love. I mean, it's not as flagrant as with women, but like Yeah. Uh, <laughs> speaking of women Yes. Tuesday World. What 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 a name. Um Dear Lord, what a fucking career. Do you know the story of like Tuesday World? I don't. So so she's obviously like she comes up in kind of like the sixties and is kind of like a big, big young ingenue who's kind of like thrust into the limelight as a very, very young child. By like the age of ten years old, she's like a functioning alcoholic and is like oh, just drinking cool. around just drinking around like New York and stuff like that. Right. Um again, someone who like completely like tanked her career through like bad decisions. He's getting involved in like all the all the terrible places. Um I believe she was the first choice to play lolita in sally Kubrick's Lita adaptation and her response to that was uh, I don't need to do it. I've already I've already been it in my real life. Grim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and she ends up in this movie and she's she's fine in it. I mean, Michael Mann's strength is not his female characters. It's just one of those things where it's like, it, this is like late in her career. And obviously, she comes back and does once upon a time in America and like, it's normally afters. But here, it's kind of like a fairly thankless role. But you're kind of like, well, at least she's not <laughs> having a like the shitty personal life that she's kind of had uh, leading up to this point as the Hollywood system kind of like eats her up and spits her out. Yeah. And like, it's
0: it's kind of rough stuff because, like, you know. From here, you know, he, like, seizes her out of the bar and is, like, almost starting fights with, like, every man in the vicinity as he, like, drags her off by force and, like, talks shit about her having a boring, safe life and, like, you know, being like, well, you know, I was married and now I'm not, so can we get on with this kind of thing? And it's almost like, were you two, like, flirtatious while he was still married and, like, kept it respectful and now it's like, right, well, are we going to do this or not? Or, like... Is he just being really demanding? And, you know, he does, you know, create a, a, a home for them and has plans to run off together and, and every, you know, retire and just be with her. And he wants the kid. And, and, you know, he has that moment where he's just like looking at her and he's like, you know, you know, just, I love you. You look beautiful kind of thing. But like when it gets remotely nasty between those two, it gets really, really nasty. And when he's like, when he like sends her away at the end um, to make good on his whole, his speech about how not caring about nothing is what made him bulletproof essentially so him he has to send her and the kid away at the end to do what he needs to do kind of thing yeah um, I, I
1: mean I really like it as like a he starts to be like I'm nearing the end of my career I've got I don't want the contacts, but I've got the contacts now to kind of do one last job that's gonna get me enough money to set me up yeah. for life. Even though he owns two fairly successful businesses from the looks of it. Like yeah, I'm fairly sure uh, he could retire with the money from his bar and from his from his car dealership.
0: Yeah, I like blowing them up. I mean, I get it. Like he's trying to like just go out and a he's he's like, I may not survive any of this, but I'm like, I mean, surely surely there's some amount of money coming from those um, I guess he doesn't want anyone to come after them, so he's like, I'll blow him up first. I don't know, but...
1: Yeah, it's, it's kind of the interesting thing where he's like, he thinks he can see his out from this life of crime. Yeah. This is safe for me now to have someone that isn't going to tie me down. In a very similar way, Like it feels like a prototypical version of the, the Robert Niro character. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. They're like For him, there's a finite number of jobs. There is a plan. There is an out. There is a desire to start a family not quite the same, but Bodie from Point Break is also like, there are people in his gang who just fucking love robbing people, and he's like, no, we are only doing a certain number of jobs and then we're stopping kind of thing. Obviously he has very different life plans to die in a
1: tidal wave. <laughs> but yeah, there's that interesting like, he starts to get comfortable, mm-hmm. and then the moment he realises that he's fucked up, like he's made he's found himself on the wrong side of something for the first time ever because he got Roped into doing a job for someone who wants to be attached to him, yeah. he's like, "I have to. This has fucked up my plan." Yeah, and so even though I thought I was going to get this good life, I now need to blow up my good life. And I, yeah. I, I appreciate that. Of like, in his own head, all, like all a... of
0: this has made him kind of like soft and vulnerable, uh, and and you know, because all of the threats that they're making are against his wife and kid and everything. And he's like, you know, he. I mean, I guess we should just talk about it. you know his his monologue about being in prison and like. Just learning to, like, have a suicidal attitude. Like, you know, fuck it, let's go. Like, if I die, I'm going down swinging kind of thing. Is what made him a survivor and everything. Um, And and avoiding a potential gang rape and, like, killing a guard um, and, and all this sort of stuff. You know, he's got this very kind of pathetic but sweet little collage that he made that he carries around with him. His little mood board. Uh, his vision board, whatever you want to call it, um, where he's just cut things out of magazines. like, yeah, this is the life I want. And then she's like, what are all the dead people? He's like, ah, well, you know, people died. I don't know. I like, what? <laughs> so he's got, like, you know, he's got the picture of, um, we'll talk about Willie Nelson in a minute, and then he's got, like, a picture of, like, a happy couple, and, yeah, and he just carries this around, and he's this, like, hardened but, but it, criminal.
1: It really does feel like the kind of thing that would happen to someone yeah, who had their yeah. entire, like, young life destroyed by being yeah like because what he get picked up for like a fairly nonchalant crime and then he's just
0: and because he's quite Chris, so shit, yeah
1: and then because it's so bad he ends up being on like manslaughter charges and he just goes on and on and on and yeah. on and and so by the time he comes out he's he's already like lost his life and like he's just like well i wasn't going to be a criminal before this but now that i've like teamed yeah. up with willie nelson and now it's with rob banks so, it's like a or, self-fulfilling like,
0: says, prophecy almost and like you know it, i mean you can talk about the prison industry in general and how it like creates more crime than it solves and, and everything. But yeah. And I I think that links back to, you know, the the slightly iffy stuff with how he treats her and, and just in general, it was a very conscious decision to, I think Michael Mann talked about like thinking about how he would have been denied a normal development path because he spent his twenties and thirties in prison. So he doesn't quite know how to talk to women properly, and he's missed all these different cultural events and everything. So he, he is this like weird outsider with limited social skills kind of thing. Um, yeah, I'm not saying like, that yeah, excuses how he like drags her around and stuff, but yeah, no.
1: But like the only way that he can like think to decouple from her is to like make her fall out of love with him. Yeah, like, and he's like, isn't fuck like, off. A, <laughs> it's not like going there and explain what's happening. Like he doesn't doesn't cross his mind it doesn't go like right i'm in danger i need to like blow up my life i can't come with you here's all the money i've got go and i'll send you more money later on yeah it's so like you get 10 grand
0: be- in month month one 20 grand in month two 30 grand in month three it's like you're gonna run out of numbers dude
1: but, but yeah, yeah it then becomes like i just need to i need you to not love me anymore i yeah. need you to just to, to stop this and so i'm gonna be mean and like force you out of my yeah. life and you see that mm.
0: I'm I'm trying to think of what the most there's there's one very particular example in my head and I, I can't think what it is. Oh, it's Goodwill Hunting, where he just doesn't he just flips out and he doesn't know what to do, so he just is like shitty to her to make her go away kind of thing. But you see it in all kinds of stuff and you see it in real life, unfortunately, where like men just don't know how to communicate emotionally. So like, okay, I'll just be the I'll just be a prick and she'll she'll leave me for her own good and I'm doing her a favour by doing this and all that sort of stuff.
1: Yeah. I mean, it is interesting because it does feel like, because obviously, Man's done a, a prison movie at this point. He, I don't want to say that his movies are like full on like rebelling against the prison industrial complex, but like the fact that he's employing criminals and the fact that like he's got this scene about like what happens at the adoption agency to like being against convicts. It, there's just this interesting kind of like through current where he's like, yes, these people are professionals and they do bad things for money but like the ways in which society kind of like cuts them off from having a normal life is like kind of like a big reason why they do the things that they do. Yeah, well and, like all yeah. of it all of it kind of like feeds into this weird hodgepodge where like he isn't critical of these people, but he will show you what they do what's and all yeah. and like the ways um, in which life is stacked against them.
0: Yeah, and like he's he the police are generally not shown in the most flattering light. It's, I mean, it's rarely, like, full-on corruption, but, like, it is very, like... I mean, they're not the nicest people, some of them, and, like, you know... I
1: mean, we don't even see it on screen, do we? It's just, like, he... Like, the cops come to, like, rough him up a little bit. They're chasing Mm. him around. But, like, it seems like when he talks to Leo later, Leo's just like, you don't want to pay off cops, but that's just what you do. it's like, they're not... They're chasing him... Not because they want to stop Leo from like his crime a- crime industry. They want to get a payout from Leo for whatever job he's gonna yeah, do. Like, they're yeah, not yeah. gonna step in if you rob this vault. But like they will go afterwards and go like, ah, oh, we see you've done something bad then. Maybe <laughs> we just need a handful of diamonds. Well don't
0: they when they bring him in, they're like they they grab him and then they smash his they grab him and then they smash his tail light and they're like, Oh, you got a light out, we have to bring you in kind of thing. Yeah. And like in heat there's you know, there's there's a bit of uh, you know just kind of, like, applying more pressure than there should be and going way beyond what they should be doing to try and, like, get these leads and stuff. And, yeah, and like you say, like, you know, employing thieves and and he's talked about how he just has no interest in people that work, like, 60-hour weeks and stuff like that. Like, he is far more interested in these people who, like, you know, half as... Half as long, twice as bright, kind of thing. People who live like on the edges of society, like loose cannons. People who are incredibly good at a weird, unorthodox thing or or a, or a controversial thing, and it, it makes more interesting movies for sure. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, could... the
1: interesting thing is like what like, the guy who the guy who wrote this book, like John Siebold mm. that the movie's based on, like which is like his self confession of being a jewel thief. He's on set and apparently had like FBI warrants out for him like the entire time that he was on set. <laughs> and obviously like because what this is this is dennis farina's like first on-screen role who obviously goes on to have like a really big busy career in in film and but like at this point he is a criminal like he was being hired for to be a consultant and ends up becoming a recognizable face actor
0: yeah and you know i mean Obviously not author intent, but we talked about in Heat how like he ends up inspiring like real life arm truck robberies and stuff like this and you know just what happens. This is you know, let's make something authentic and something scuzzy and people will react to it how they will. We've talked about Willie Nelson a little bit here and there,
1: but like Famous what a- tax dodger Willie Nelson.
0: Yes. But like what a weirdly charismatic, essentially one scene role for him, like you know he's obviously Frank's role model his surrogate father you know he's patterned himself after him he's taking all his advice but like yeah it's a weird one because he's the second most famous person in the movie probably and like yeah he kind of has that one scene where they're like Unusually close to each other when they're talking through the the prison phone and everything. Like yeah, he's like right up against that glass, and there's like a there's like a suggestion of physical intimacy that like I feel certain like hyper macho properties would want to f- shy away from. But yeah, the it I don't know. Yeah, I think he's I think he's pretty good.
1: <laughs> it, it's funny because so, like, Roger Ebert like singles him out and goes like, "Boy, this movie is like almost there." I just kind of wish there was more Willie Nelson, and I'm like. I mean I kinda do too, but like there's not much more that the the subplot kinda needs, really. I mean obviously there's like the crackjack scene in the um in the courthouse where like the, the, the oh, lawyer that's and so the judge. Good like,
0: when they're just holding up numbers and touching their faces and stuff.
1: I was thinking it's just blatantly corrupt and they're yeah. both just signalling like, I want I want eight. I'll get yeah. you four. No six. Six. Okay, we agree on the six. Yeah. And then he hands him the ten. <laughs> and, like you just like oh, that's four- that's a four K kind of tip off for you as well, yeah, and yeah. like it's just good it's visual it's filmmaking from-, from Michael Mann. But like again, like the subplot kind of like ends there because he he manages to get Oakley out, and then Oakley just kind of goes like, "Cool, I'm like I'm one step outside of prison, and I'm gonna die." Like, yeah, I'm- well, I'm a- he he just does skull. not
0: want to die in prison, and he doesn't mind if he dies immediately as soon as he gets out. But you know, and obviously Frank's pissed away like ten grand on this, and. You know, he just immediately dies. And there is that like moment where it's like, is, is Frank going to beat up the doctor for telling him he died? <laughs> but...
1: well, it's, I mean, it's almost that weird moment where like he holds on to say hello to Jesse. Because mm. obviously, like, Frank goes and says that like he's planning on doing this. And then, like, the moment he introduces Jesse to him, he's just like, okay, cool. He got a wife. Die. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, yeah yeah he does get that a very scene, really? a very weird thing because that's yeah. the thing is like yeah as you said like probably the most, second most famous person in this and then literally everyone else is like first-time actors <laughs> in movies. Yeah.
0: yeah and then the other famous person you got is a musician who yeah
1: he, he's in a lot of stuff
0: from from, from just being a popular musician he, he was on a lot of movies and tv but yeah and he has his little philosophy of like don't lie to anyone because like lies will ruin a close friendship and if it's a stranger why bother why do you need to lie to a stranger kind of thing and you know arguably frank does live too honest of a light you know i say honest for, for a thief but you know he is just straight up like no fuck you give me my money kind of thing and like you know this is how i operate this is how i am and you know he does ultimately win the day like you know he he well kind of who knows what happens with the wife and kid but like he goes and he kills leo and he kills all of his like close associates and everything and walks off into the night but yeah it, it is very like you know I, I understand where you're coming from there but maybe a few tactical lies and a, a little bit of like putting up with some stuff might have worked out for you but hey and he gets into it all in the first place because of belushi the lesser um, who <laughs> just i think this is his second movie in, in, in a long but terrible film career you know, just wanting to play a gangster, I guess, and gets offed by Leo's guys at the end and just does a lot of like just generic dialogue that could have been delivered by anyone, but he's there as well.
1: I'm, I'm on a pro blushy train at the moment really? cause I've just finished Twin Peaks The Return. Okay. Um, Is he in that? Which I think he's in that. Oh, no. He's like the head of the casino. I don't know how far you got into Twin Peaks The Return when you uh, attempted to watch it. I don't know, like five
0: or six episodes, something like that.
1: Might have just seen him, or he's going to show up next. Um, mm. He's really fun in that. I okay. really enjoy his role in *Twin Peaks: the Return*. It's a fucking weird role, as is most *Twin Peaks: the Return*. But like, yeah, I will, my, my, I will my, I get like, back well, nice.
0: to it. I promise. I mean, there's just, I you know, I just need to know these fuckos who think it's the best movie of the 2020s or whatever, or the 2010s. I just need to know what the fuck they're talking about. Maybe I I've already see seen what they, they like, think- but. So far, I'm like, this is just Twin Peaks, but even weirder. Um Yes,
1: that is very much what the show is. Okay, it's Seventeen cool. hours of that. Like like the show is like an ultimate cocktease where like it's like, you really want this, don't you? Well, maybe <laughs> you're gonna have to wait fifteen hours until we give it to you. I mean I'll
0: give it I'll give them this. Microsera's cameo is fucking heroic. I got that far at least.
1: But anyway. Um, yeah, I'm on a pro train at the moment. Like I think okay. I think it, you don't need much. For what this role is, no, but like, I think he'd like again, I, but I he, think,
0: no, I mean, I'm taking the piss, but like, he is like fine at it, like, it's his thing, he's like vaguely affable, kind of a douchey friendly guy, and that's that's kind of the role, isn't it? But yeah, he's, like, it, it, he's it, clearly like hitched not... his wagon to Frank, and Frank is like, Yeah, I guess you're my friend. <laughs> I
1: think uh, what I want to compare it to now is like obviously we've said that this movie is a massive influence and drive in terms of like the overall structure right. of the thing and that is like first scene like successful heist yeah he then gets like caught up in a bad thing but the difference obviously is that in drive the second heist goes wrong whereas the second heist in thief goes well yeah. but they both end up on the bad side of a kind of like a local yeah criminal who who basically just wants to get their money back or whatever. Albert Brooks is just Albert, furious. Yeah. <laughs> Albert Brooks versus Rob Prosky. Um, <laughs> the movie the, the we all want. <laughs> the interesting thing is just like the difference between James Caan and Ryan Gosling. Where Ryan Gosling is like stoic and yeah. doesn't give anything really in that role. Like there's no monologues, there's no like emotional depth oh. to that character. It's literally just man want girlfriend, man want money to like kind of like get away. Man, play with kids, kind of like, man use
0: hammer. Yeah.
1: <laughs> exactly. Whereas, like, James Kahn is like, every supporting character in Drive talks like James Kahn in this movie. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of where the juice comes from. Is like, Drive realizes that by having a, a silent protagonist, you need to have all of the side characters kind of like have this like and energy. Whereas mm. Thief is like, all of the and energy is going to come from James Kahn and maybe also a little bit from, from Prosky. Maybe. But, like, that's it.
0: Maybe that's my big thing with Drive. maybe I just don't like silent protagonists. Maybe that's I, I didn't even consider that's the thing I don't like about it, but I
1: mean that might be it. <laughs> anyway. There's just no interiority no. to Ryan It's no he, he isn't
0: a person.
1: <laughs> yeah. There's all like the movies are like incredibly similar in terms of like what their style is. Yeah. Like again, the amount of like clock watching in both movies and like timing <laughs> and whatnot. But yeah, like again, James Kahn goes and gets to sit in a cafe and kind of like gives yeah. a monologue about like how terrible his life is, yeah. and it it's compelling and he's good at it because he's a good actor.
0: I think that's the thing. He may not be a nice person, but he is a person. He, he's a he's a believable three dimensional human being who, you know, Michael Mann made him do some homework essentially, and then like made him like be in the role of this character, and then yeah,
1: Michael Mann's homework must be so weird, where it's like <laughs> right. Genved. I'm going to teach you to be a safe cracker. Yeah, you're going to go hang out with some professional safe crackers for a weekend. They might take you to an active crime scene, um, <laughs> but don't worry, we'll pay for bail if you get caught.
0: Yeah, yeah. Whereas Al Pacino just gets to have some dinner with some retired cops. <laughs> oh, cool, great. There isn't a huge. I mean, actually, I, I mean, you talk about Drive. We talk about the similarities. I mentioned they both have this electronic soundtrack. Do you want to do your Tangerine
1: Dream rant now? I mean, this fucking soundtrack is so fucking good. It rules. Like it absolutely really rules. rules. <laughs> like every single time, it's on you're just like oh, like like the the fact that this movie, like the last dialogue of this movie, kind of functionally is Frank and Jesse doing their like mm. fuck off. I need you to go and take the money, mm. and then after that point, there is, like, functionally no dialogue apart from the weird scene of, like, Leo with his henchman where, like, his henchman goes, like, do you want some milk? (laughs) And And then then there's it like,
0: who is the woman that just observes him murder that, or knock that guy out, and then just, like, okay, and then just looks away as he goes on to go and kill Leo. I don't know if it's Leo's wife, or, like, a relation, or, or, I don't know, but.
1: but... yeah. Movie, the movie gets to a point where there's this no dialogue, and mm-hmm. everything is being held by like Michael Mann visuals of like the neon reflecting in like the puddles and stuff like that. Of yeah. as he blows at like, the bar, and like, as he sets fire to every single fucking car at his car dealership, and just the score is playing in the background. Mm-hmm. You just gets so like fucking amped. And then the Razzies had the audacity to say it was one of the worst scores of the year, and I'm like,
0: yeah, the legacy of Tangerine the- Dream, a Razzie for this, and Stranger Things quite liking them. <laughs> <laughs> for good reason though. good music and, and say what you want about Stranger Things I, I am into the not just like the obvious needle drops but um, the, the original score the, the electronic stuff in Stranger Things I think has always been really good or it's, it's very up my alley this kind of it, it's not John Carpenter but
1: it's not a million miles away you know that kind yeah, of thing you, you can tell who they're kind of pulling from yeah. on the Stranger yeah. Things soundtrack and it, it's funny that like the stuff that's popping more now at this point is like <sighs> Kate Bush shows. I can't
0: handle children not knowing who Kate Bush is
1: like, I'm not a Kate Bush like
0: stan, but everybody knows Running Up That Hill and the very many other hits she had, surely. And now I have to sit through another cycle of song becomes big and we hear 100 covers that aren't very good. Ugh. But yes, Tangerine
1: Dreaming. Mean, is, that, is that the last one of those that happened? I can't think of like one that's happened in like the the 13 years since Glee made Don't Stop Believing oh, until, like the biggest fucking no. song ever. Yeah. It happens all the time. Um, I know it does, but like not to the level of like. Yeah, like this has been really big and like a like, real.
0: Hasn't she now become the youngest and oldest person to be number one in the UK chart for a woman? I, would,
1: I, I don't. I'm not sure youngest because obviously Olivia Rodrigo has also had like mm. fucking huge success, and she's like still young. I, she's had the longest wait in between number one songs. Is the sure. thing that's happened?
0: I, I feel I read that she's the youngest and oldest person to chart number one in the UK for 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 a song. I don't know.
1: I mean, yeah, I would
0: assume Good For You was number one in the UK, but... Oh, Driver's License was number one, I'm pretty sure as well. Okay. okay. Well, yeah. But anyway, um, <laughs> enough of that. Yeah, Stangerine Dream uh, win a Razzie for this score, despite it ruling. I don't know why... I don't even know what the argument was there, that, like... Crime dramas have to have like saxophones in them or something. <laughs> or, I just, like, yeah, I Dangerous just guitar. Like,
1: this is someone that's different. It's in the same way that, like, because obviously a movie that we're never going to discuss on this podcast, The Thing, is a similar <laughs> boat where, like, I feel like people fucking hate the soundtrack for The Thing when it comes out. Obviously, all they so fucking wrong. hate that movie as well. <laughs> And that, but yeah, I don't know if it's just there's just this change where like people are putting more electronic stuff and more like synthesizers mm-hmm. into their soundtrack, and it's becoming more mainstream. But you've got this like prissy old press that's like, no, what? Yeah. Where's our orchestration gone? And what? I guess it's like that John thing. John Williams has just done the Star Wars soundtrack. That sounds incredible.
0: <laughs> I guess it's that thing where like you know when you look back on decades, you you define them very concretely. Like you know like we're doing with this with this podcast, 1980 to 1989. That's the 80s. The whole 80s were the same all 80s music is drum machines and and synths and stuff like that. But realistically, in the early 80s, you were still dealing with culturally 70s stuff hanging over. So I guess the stuff we'd think of when we think of the 80s is starting to come in and some curmudgeonly older people are like, no, this is bad and wrong and the kids are bad. Um, And then it will become what the decade is known for and then they'll hate 90s people and so on. But yeah, it's just very funny that, they, yeah, <laughs> that it, It's run. always interesting. The, 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 like, the two times the Razzies have come up for us in this podcast, it's like, no, this, this score fucks, this movie fucks, this performance is great. Like, Razzies are bad, people.
1: Yeah, Razzies are bad. But yeah, it, it's funny that we delineate decades in the way that we do. Yeah, for sure. Because obviously, like, it, the culture always follows a similar trajectory. Mm-hmm. Where like it does feel like culture is on like a ten year cycle, but that ten year cycle is slightly off from what a decade is. Yes, absolutely.
0: Yeah, it, it's like it, it's like let's say eighty two to ninety two is actually the eighties or whatever. Or you know you can give or take a year here and there, but then we have to line it up to be perfectly neat and like eighty to eighty nine has to be what it is. But you know stuff takes a while to catch on, and it takes a while for the new thing to catch on. So, but. I mean, you know, I don't have a huge amount more to say about the movie. It's just, it's breezy, you know, it's two hours in and out. There are a lot of just sort of like long single scenes of like, you know, here he is doing a robbery for a long ass time. As you said, the long camera shot on the bus thing. Um, And, you know, if if you boil it down to bullet points, not a lot really happens. Like, he successfully does a job. Some of his money is withheld. He wants it back. He's introduced to Leo, who wants him to be his pet thief. He's like, I'll do one job. He does the job. And then he's like, oh, I I kept your money back, and I invested it, and you work for me, and I've got a new job set up for you. And then he's like, no, fuck you, give me my money. And then he gets threatened, so he kills them, and then he just is gone. And I guess there's the relationship stuff happening as well. But, you know, it's not the most complicated plot in the world.
1: (laughs) No, it really isn't. Michael Mann is like, I think... The Michael Mann's strengths as a filmmaker come mm. from like I think the dialogue in this movie is is fucking great. Yeah, like yeah. everyone sounds authentic. Like even when they're doing these like flowery monologues and stuff like that, they still sound like real people. I which think I think, I think, I think like, that's
0: my thing with him is it's not just authenticity in the activities happening. He understands how human beings talk and think and, re- and react, and, and that's what makes he sing. Is on top of like, look, we've got a million real guns going off. All of those people are interesting, and and we talked about that. How like the guy who's like twenty fifth on the call sheet is like a fascinating little character, kind of thing. And they all are flawed
1: and interesting. Yeah, they've plucked some obscure person out, and they've like got like a huge, like like life story that like infuses the character with so much more like weirdness or like visual tension, almost.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. And, and and as I said with Heat, if every long movie used its length that way. I'd be more on board for long movies rather than a lot of movies just are like ah oh, we need to squeeze in two more scenes where they're just saying the plot out loud. Anyway, and, if, and do you have anything other, else? Yeah, something the other thing for... is just
1: how how this movie looks is just so cool. Yeah. Like obviously, like this movie is shot almost almost entirely at night. Like it's it's yeah. weird when there's daytime scenes in this movie, but like. <laughs> Obviously, the thing that this movie does is like because they're shooting at night and they don't want to light it in a way that makes it kind of like you 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 don't want to lose the the darkness. He just kind of like puts neon into yeah, find the light source
0: it. yeah. Yeah, um, we can get Michael and, like, to obviously- talk about the, the death of, of, of movies set at night where you can see things going on in the seventies, but uh probably not.
1: Yeah. He- yeah, like I just wanted to shout out like Donald Thorin did the did the cinematography here. Like doesn't work with uh, Michael Mann again as far as I can tell. Mm weird career after this where he does things like he is the cinematographer for like Purple Rain um and for Midnight Run and like near the end of his career does Shaft just a, How the Mighty Fall from like this movie that looks really gorgeous into kind of like some some decent looking movies but definitely nothing that's kind of like as era defining almost as how this movie looks mm. and especially in like the context of Michael Mann's career and obviously his movies get kind of like more clinical in their kind of, like, look when you get to something like Heat, where I think Heat is still, like, a really interesting compositioned movie, but, like, it loses some of the the weirdness around the edges of the lighting that, that this movie has. Yeah, true, true. It, and, it, and they, it's cleaner, for
0: sure. Um, and, and brighter yeah. and everything. And, like, yeah, Nolan is, is more into that than he is this, but there is just something charming about how I mean we've used the word multiple times but like scuzzy this kind of is but not in a way where you can't tell what's going on
1: ever Yes, um, yeah. Michael Mann's yeah, good
0: but- at his job, I wish he did his job more well no, I, yeah. that's not fair I wish people would let him do his job more
1: yeah. um, I mean it's, it's similar a lot of directors who I've been watching from the 80s, it's a similar thing to like Sam Raimi where like mm-hmm. I've watched all of Sam Raimi's movies recently and you go like wow I can't believe this guy didn't get to direct a movie for nine years I know and like, like the some... thing
0: and the best things in Doctor Strange are freaking out the children who
1: have never seen like a transition or anything before oh people the the tweet that's gone viral yesterday of like the scene where Wardo where yeah. is explaining what Dreamwalking is yeah. and like all the intercutting and like the fading crossfades and all the rest yeah, of it which all fucking like, this rules. looks
0: so weird don't like it yeah he just makes a music video for five minutes like isn't this more visually interesting than just man stands there and says words like,
1: I don't know but I really like when they have like a clear airport with no people around it and they can like just blow it all up because <laughs> it's a big wide open space with nothing happening Yeah. well
0: we can talk more about that early next year can't we as we just alienate ourselves further and further from Marvel fans but that's not what we're doing this podcast what we're doing this podcast is movies from the 1980s that we really like uh, this has been Thief next week yeah I'll present my research on, on that movie that very obscure movie uh, you mentioned Raiders of the Lost Ark um, yeah, I mean, it I seems like it's very, in, it seems like it's very similar to Indiana Jones one, but it's, but no, it's it's Raiders of the Lost Ark. Interesting, but that will be next week. Yeah, until then, and oh, well, just to warn people, there'll probably be about five minutes where Ben talks and Matt says nothing <laughs> because Matt has a phobia of snakes, so that scene
1: will be. You make it sound like uh, we're going to do a commentary where I like force you to sit it and you just go like, I'm, I'm nope, going now. No, nope,
0: nope, nope, no. But you have got to talk about it. It's like. A towering scene in movie history <laughs> but uh, what yes, am I, I gonna say <laughs> I don't like it so you can look forward to that next week but until then Benjamin thank you for your time this week and uh, I have one question for you will there be movies?
1: yes but they will have considerably less close up footage of people fucking welding out a giant fucking safe <laughs> <sighs> the scene looks so good Duh. and it's so long it is just sparks, <laughs> and then just like, like, how long did that take in real life, do you reckon to get through that fucking safe? They must have been in there for hours. Certainly. He looks yeah. <laughs> he looks tired when he takes off the the mask at the end. Bye everyone. <laughs>